And our New Testament reading is taken from Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead And those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alice, for reading for us. Um, Good afternoon. As Rob said, my name is John, and um, I'm going to be leading us through our passage, uh, which was just read. So many, many years ago, uh, people used to look up to kings and queens that ruled over them. So they brought peace and justice to those whom they governed. Lots of rulers got it wrong, uh, but I'm sure there were some good ones too. If you want to know for sure, just ask Rob. I'm sure he'll help. Recently, though, I've tried to think, what would it actually be like to live under a sovereign monarch? Someone who ruled the country and someone who had complete authority over all of us. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be too bad, um, but maybe only if they put the people's interests first. Could you imagine if yesterday, when Harry and Meghan got married, they were actually given complete power and authority to rule over the United Kingdom? Well, if the government was disbanded and they were left with complete control, well, we'd long for them to, to treat us kindly, wouldn't we? And we'd hope that we could trust them. We'd expect them to rule fairly. I think if they were able to do those three simple things, well, it might actually work. Now, the passage from Mark's Gospel that was read for us um, speaks of a ruler, a king. But he's not what the crowds expected. And he might not be what we expect either. So there are just two headings um, to help us along this afternoon. Um, The first one is this, Jesus, the promised king. 
Jesus, the promised king. I'm just going to grab a Bible because I don't have one. In verse 1, verse 1 of our passage, you can look down in your service order. Um, the pers- um, Mark, who wrote this gospel, he tells us they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. So by searching the internet, one can easily find out that the Mount of Olives is a small range of hills. There's four of them. And they used to be covered in a vast, dense woodland of olive trees, hence the name. Um, Bethpage and Bethany are just two of the hilltop villages in that area. And I'm told if you go and visit Israel today um, and you hike to the top of the Mount of Olives, well, you can get a spectacular view of the whole of the city of Jerusalem. And that's the same view that Jesus would have seen 2,000 years ago. The journey that lied ahead for him and his followers is where our passage fits in today. So, um, as they approached Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead of him. Verse 2 says, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. A colt is just the name for a young donkey. Um, And you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it back here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So you might be thinking, um, why does Mark make such a big deal out of Jesus' mode of transport? Have a look down with me, because Mark devotes an entire passage to the cult that Jesus travelled on. But why? Why include this detail about an animal? It's helpful to know that Mark often alludes to the Old Testament in his account of Jesus' life. And it may not always be obvious to us, but for the initial readers of that time, those who had just had the Old Testament to learn from, well, their alarm bells might have been ringing because Mark is alluding to a prophecy, a future prediction, if you like, that Zechariah made about 500 years before Jesus was around. We had it read earlier for us, so do flip back in your service order, the page um, before. In verse 9 of chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I think there are three clear similarities here that show Mark's, Mark wants us to use this Zechariah passage to, to better understand um, our passage here in Mark. So the first thing is a colt is mentioned, a donkey. And in Zechariah's passage, the colt is being ridden on by a king. Secondly, the location. Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Zion was often described as the holy city, um, also known as Jerusalem. And in Mark, Jesus goes on the road towards Jerusalem. So a donkey is mentioned. Now the location is the same. Thirdly, what the crowds actually say is a match as well. For the crowd shouted aloud to Jesus... Look down in verse 9. 
Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So in Zechariah, the people were told also to shout aloud and welcome the king who was righteous, victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. So why does Mark allude to this Zechariah passage? What does it sort of add to what we already have heard? I think this is what we are to realise, that Jesus is the promised king. The king who fulfils all of the Old Testament. Because if we look at the big picture, the big Bible picture, God's people in the Old Testament were called to be faithful to him, called to obey him, and not follow any other gods. But time and time and time again, the people fail. They couldn't live up to the way God wanted them to. So graciously, God promised that there would be one who would act as a king for the people, one who would lead them to live for God wholeheartedly. In 2 Samuel, uh, the Lord declared a promise to King David, the king who was ruling over the nation Israel, which said that his offspring would establish a kingdom that would last forever. Now Mark is telling us the promised one is here. Uh, the promised one who fulfills all of the Old Testament, the rescuer we were waiting for, it's Jesus. Jesus is the promised king. And the crowd also seem to get it, don't they? Um, Verse 8, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And they shouted aloud to welcome Jesus. They worshipped Jesus as he passed them, and they lay down their clothes to honour him. So just like yesterday in the wedding, when Harry and Meghan had a red carpet laid out for them, they had this massive procession. So the crowds lay down their cloaks for a truly royal reception. As I've looked over these verses, um, it's been really helpful to sort of to reflect and think Do I act in a similar way to the crowds do? Do I really see Jesus as the king of my life? Would I respond to him like the crowds rightly did? Singing praise, adoration. Jesus is the promised king. But the question to ask is, what kind of king is he? What kind of king? Will he treat us kindly? Can we trust him? Will he rule fairly? That leads us on to our second and final heading. Jesus, the humble king. Jesus, the humble king. So briefly looking at the start again, as Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead of them and tells them that when they reach the next village, they're going to find a colt, a donkey tied up. We can often read this and focus on the details maybe but we might lose the magnitude of what Jesus actually does. For it's like if I was to say to you, on your way home today, after this service, you will see one of the midsummer, some, midsummer common cows, that was a tongue twister, one of the midsummer common cows tied up uh, at your house. And I'd like you to go and untie it and bring it back here. But if anyone asks you um, why you're doing that, just say John needs it and he'll give it back to them shortly. 
I mean, it's ludicrous. It's ridiculous for me to claim that I could predict that. But that's the sort of prediction that we see here. What Jesus did was spectacular. He foreknew what was ahead. And what he said actually happened. And this isn't the only time Jesus has done something so remarkable like this. But have a look again in verse 4. Jesus was fully aware of where the cult was and what the people would say in response to the disciples untying it. So if Jesus knew the future details about this donkey, this cult, well then surely he would have known about the future details um, of how he was going to be rejected and how he was going to be put to death on a cross. Yet we see a willingness such a willingness of Jesus, the kindness and compassion that he had as he headed to Jerusalem, knowing all too well what was going to happen to him. How much of the time do you or I avoid um, or delay something when we know it's going to be really difficult? I do it all the time. And yet we see Jesus um, and his loving hand of grace to us as he heads down that road to Jerusalem fully in control of that entrance, fully in control of his death on a cross, knowing that it would bring us peace with God. And that's how Zechariah describes Jesus' entrance. Um, Flip back over the page to look at verse 10 of chapter 9. Because Jesus comes in peace, not riding a war horse like those who are looking for a fight, but in humility as he rides on a donkey. Do you spot that contrast in verses 9 and 10? Not a war horse, but a donkey. Not with grandeur and strength. Not like the royal wedding yesterday. I keep going on about it because it was amazing, but in total humility and loneliness, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Not like anything we saw yesterday. The second half of verse 10 says, he will proclaim peace to the nations. And his rule will extend from sea to sea. We are so very fortunate that Jesus is the humble king. He came to offer peace and not war. But as the crowds cry out and they wave their palm branches, um, verse 11, they shout, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a direct from the, the psalm that we read aloud earlier. But it's really ironic, as the crowds probably thought that Jesus had come to save them from their political enemies. When really, he'd come to save them from their sin. Um, How is that possible? Well, verse 22 of the psalm reads, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, Mark here alludes to who Jesus is by using the Old Testament. Jesus was welcomed with such a royal reception. But within a week of his arrival, well, Roman guards would lead him out of the city as a condemned criminal. Jesus came as the king whose coronation would be with a crown of thorns, enthroned on a cross and hailed as a ridiculed king. So, As we finish, how shall we respond to this king? 
knowing he's a king who will treat us kindly, a king that we can trust, a king who will rule fairly. If you're already trusting in Jesus, I hope this passage reassures you. For Jesus is the right king to follow, God's chosen one, who is in control of everything. Whether in hard times or times of doubt, we haven't lost out on anything. If you've been trusting in him, it's the best thing you could choose to do. Let's be those who, who trust in the king, knowing full well that he came in humility so that we might be saved. If you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, if you're visiting or finding out whether or not you can believe um, what the Bible says or not, well, be assured that if you want to have real confidence in a ruler who's going to treat you kindly, who you can fully trust and will rule fairly, well, keep coming along to hear more about Jesus, the king who knows what lies ahead in all, in all times, in all circumstances. And at the next 4pm, we'll continue looking at chapter 11 together, where Jesus reveals that he hasn't come to restore the temple, but actually to bring judgment on it. We won't go into any detail, but Mark gives us a tiny little hint in verse 11. I haven't mentioned it yet. Let me quickly read it. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I don't know if you noticed, but it is a massive anticlimax. Mark has just explained, through the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the grand reception that Jesus received, we saw he is the promised king, the humble king. Mark raises our expectations that something great was going to happen, but actually nothing does. The stage was set. The curtains were drawn, but the clamoring crowds, well, they just vanish. So do come back in two weeks' time to hear more about that. Let me pray for us as I finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that um, you gave us your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have shown him to be the promised king who you chose to bring us salvation. Thank you that he fulfills the Old Testament. Thank you that um, Jesus is such a humble king who came to offer us peace when actually we deserve judgment. We're so sorry for when we haven't treated him as the rightful ruler of our lives. Please help us, Lord, to be those who rejoice in King Jesus in the following weeks, months, and for the rest of our lives. Amen.